This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Rum, do you hear something? Yeah, what is that? It's a bird. No, it's a plane. No, it's not that. It's the best of the buzz with Bill. Is that right, eh? It's a good sign of things to come. Commentary on trending headlines with veteran AMI producer Bill Shackleton. Well, now. Billy! I say Shack! Yep, I'm back. Pakistan's first deaf staff food truck empowers the hearing impaired. This is a really interesting one from Reuters. There's a food truck in Pakistan that um, essentially is staffed fully staffed by a family, mother and father, and two brothers who are either partially or fully deaf. And the way they work it is that they have, they they go where they're, you know, the truck goes where, uh, I think it's in front of a university. And what they do is they have cue cards, um, I guess, on the side of the truck so that they can teach you how to sign use the words you need to order the food that you want, or you just point to what you want on a menu and they fill it out. And I, you know, this is one of these things where it is really, I mean, the vision impaired people community in Pakistan anyway are discriminated against or underemployed. And this is just a way of, you know, that these people can, can make a living and empower others to maybe, you know, do that, do the same thing. It is. It's very cool. I mean, just the fact that it they went the route of the food truck, the name of yeah. it, the translation of it, um, it, it really does, you know, let us all know, hey, uh, come and check us out. And this is the kind of communication you can expect. Right. Like it, I, I, I always find it really fascinating when um, people like like all low vision and blind or all deaf and hard of hearing or all people with certain disabilities come together and put together a project where then they're educating everybody else on this is how something like this would run. And here that is in full-fledged, you know, development, right? So this food truck is an example of that. This project is fully developed by people who are deaf and hard of hearing. And this is how you would communicate with us if you were to come to this food food truck. But it's not a hypothetical, like it's actually happening, um, which is fantastic. And I'm sure there's going to be some challenges around that, but it's going to be uh, really great to kind of follow the story and see how successful it is. Well, the other thing that's, that I find interesting is that you can learn a sign language and how to order food. It might spur yep. more people to actually learn, take up the language. Well, people Absolutely. find stuff fascinating, right? So if someone sees that and says, hey, you know what I'm doing to do my order, it, it becomes fun. And also, you know what, this, this, is, this is interesting is and worthwhile. And if the food is good, of course you're coming back to learn more sign oh, language, yeah. to communicate further with these people. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. And a nice support story. for the community and just more awareness, right? You know, no yep. one's asking anyone to, to, like you say, learn it completely, do anything else different. Just be be really aware. And and, and um, I love seeing the ability for people to go out and get a chance to do some work. And it doesn't have to be the standard things, as we always used to say, Bill. You know, the blind people, they don't all have to be, uh, you know, uh, piano tuners or, or cane chairs.
Well, when you hear the title of this one, don't take it as a book, as a, don't judge a book by its cover. Actually, his mother challenged him, uh, gave would give him $1,800 if he stayed on social media um, for six years. Um, this is an interesting story about a mother who told his son when he turned 18, essentially, if he stayed off social media, or 16, he would stay off, if he stayed off for eight years, he would get $1,800. And the mother was very concerned about what parents were saying about social media. And she was concerned about what he might run up against if he got onto it at a, at a young age. So he turned 20, I guess, 22 or 24 and he got his money. And the mother got this from a challenge on a radio show that she heard where somebody challenged, uh, it was called the 16 for 16. So basically when a woman, when a girl turned 16, a mother gave her six, uh, $1,600 if she stayed off social media for six years. So this is all because, um, like I say, if you take it literally, it's a kind of a silly story, but it's really not. Wow. And I like the I like the idea that parents are, I mean, saying to their kids, you know, we give you a challenge and this kid <laughs> stay, actually them. stayed off it. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Rum. Let's get this right. The mother had faith and trust in her son, his behavior yeah. no and his way. competitiveness. To no know way. He'll take this up. Of course, though. She's when, straight um, up. She heard another woman bribe her daughter with the 16. Yeah by 16 right. thing and then she's like i'm gonna i'm gonna up the ante and see if you'll I'm take bait but but look at the son well what did i care i was 12 years old i only had snapchat who cares yes. i gave that up no problem and his friends still kept him up to date with what was going mm-hmm. on anyway and when mama you know when he was successful mama took right to social media to tell everyone yeah <laughs> and yeah i love it and you know I he mean, uh, yeah go ahead he actually, his he he was more he, he could play his sports. He was he could concentrate more on his schoolwork, and he actually turned out to be. Um, he didn't even miss it because, it's, as Kelly said, his friends told him all what was going on anyway. He just avoided so, the drama, rum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just no. Uh, and if you think about it, like this is a real cool and very direct way right to to get your kids off social media now i mean i'm not saying that this is going to work for everybody because this kid clearly didn't have too much he felt he was missing anyway but it's the the prime years like being a teenager yeah, and having social right. media like it's every dread for a parent and and she was able to just take that away um, and say yeah. okay i wonder how many goofy it. broadcasters out there have read this put this out as a bit and discussed it and said do we really believe he actually stayed up? Maybe. Did he make up Maybe, a, that's a one angle online and go out there as Herbert W.J., you know, Fredericksing and, you know, get out there and talk or something? You know, That's well, one angle. On. But well, if you were to take mo- it at face value, you can say how many people after reading this will think about their own kind of social media addictions if you will yeah and mm-hmm. say oh wow if this kid I'll was able to myself. do it through his and, and exactly. people who will do it on themselves personally saying you know what i'm gonna stay off for a year and give myself eighteen hundred dollars yeah, and i was I like going that. on social on uh, instagram right 
Uh, yes. Yeah, he's going yes, on he Snapchat. Yeah, is it is yeah Instagram now? But he said that was where he first wanted to get back. You know, like he wanted to try it yeah. when he first opened an account, but he's slower than his friends. However, the money he's going to put the use because he's going to attend Northwestern. So yeah. that's going to go Western. into being helpful. Sweet. That's right. Threats, abuse, um, welcome to life as a journalist in Canada. So this is an opinion piece, and I think you'll agree that being a journalist in this country, and for that matter, around the world, has become more and more, uh, you can use the word dangerous, because basically what's happened is that um, now they use the, the Freedom Convoy as an example um, in the article, although it, it, you know, journalists are being when basically what happens is when they are writing a story about an event or about somebody or whatever, they are being targeted by people on social media who, because they just they're disagreeing um, with what the journalist is saying, even if the journalist is right or at least appears to be right. Um, they are being abused, and especially journalists of color. Um, it's gotten to the point where, and of course, I blame social media for this, because there's so much misinformation out there. When a journalist tries to assimilate it, it offends somebody on social media, and they're targeted. Um, to use an example of the of the um, the Freedom Convoy, they first of all, journalists are being accompanied by security guards because of the threat. Um, and there was there was one example where a car didn't have any identification and you know identifying marks on it because it was they didn't want to say that it was from a, a particular you know CBC or a network. And that's 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 how far this has gotten. And if you're a journalist, I don't know what you do because it seems to matter what you write. You mm. are, you know. Well, it's not even – it's it starts way before you even get down to pen and paper. You know, it, it starts on just scene. With your it starts, Yeah, with your appearance, yeah. with people's biases of whether you should be a journalist or not based on your skin color or your gender or your sex. Like it, there's actually um, a lot of fear that comes with women and and or women of uh, BIPOC descent becoming journalists, right? Yeah. Like it's it, yep. there's a lot that you have to go through to even push yourself to become a journalist or to be in the media because you're you're terrified, you're not sure if this is going to work out for you, you're scared for your life, like whatever. Um, especially on the field, especially. There's a belief out there that we're just a bunch of liars. So anytime you see cameras, microphones, well, why am I going to speak? It, these guys are going to take what I say, go home, chop it up, and make it something else. Nobody believes. And I understand if that's your belief, that's your belief. Now, that's not new. Journalists have always been accused. And, and unfortunately, there are 
you know, bad eggs that have certainly done that, um, abused their privilege as a media member. Um, but to pick on people for the virtually, like for for their color, for their sex, for the fact they've got a job to do. And when you say things like, well, come on, it's a protest. Why can't they weigh in there, go in and film? Well, these things are a little dangerous right now. You know, at one of them, weapons were, were, were found. The RCMP. Oh, yes, yes. And, and again, absolutely. I know there are people who are going to claim, oh, no, the RCMP must have planned. There's always going to be these distorted views that we have. So I don't know what we do, because if you don't believe the government or the media, you can say, well, don't put them on. Yeah, but I got to know what's going on. Okay, yeah, when, but and, if it's all a lie, so I get confused by that. Government, I don't know of any 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 time in history where people 100% trust their government. True. We, we, we get mad and complain about every government, no matter who we vote for, you know, they're going to upset us. That's just the way it is, and some of them, rightfully so, at any given time, there's things our government does that peeve me off, and I have a right to be angry at them, whether I voted for them, whether I didn't. They are not going to be perfect, and some are going to be out and out downright with their agenda that will suit some people and not others. But to threaten people based on their sex, based on the fact they've got to show up, you don't have to talk to them. You don't no. have to be bothered with the members of the media. Walk away. They're going to show what they're going to show. They're going to say what they're going to say. And what it leaves us believing is anything you see on that television, whether it's if it's news, it must be just another Netflix show made up. Mm-hmm. A total, the, total fictitious. The question is, what do we do? I mean, they're, they're saying calling on the federal government. I don't know what the government can do about this. Um the threats are like 10 years ago. If you were threatened of, as a journalist, you would just laugh it off. But I think the threat, it's becoming more sinister and more yeah. real. Yeah. Right? Well, we, we've seen journalists get in trouble. Whether it, And again, people argue, well, here in U.S. and Canada, no, not in the same way. Sure they have. The mob has taken offense to things journalists have done. There have been different situations in time and history where journalists here in North America have disappeared or been been harmed in some way. And and okay, you know, some would say, well, they're an investigative reporter back in the day. They're threatening somebody. Well, yeah, but how do you threaten someone just because you're a, you're a female or your skin color or you're standing there talking to your host uh, on on a, on a network program, just telling what you see around you? Why should someone have the right to scream at you? You'll swear at you, throw things at you. You don't like what they're saying. Sorry, sorry, go ahead, Ron. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I totally agree, Kels. You know, there's a lot of invasion um, for people who are on scene in the field, right? And this is why this is a safety issue. This is dangerous. There's a lot of trauma that comes with working in this kind of industry uh, that people have to deal with, you know, mental health challenges that, that, go far beyond their stretch of career. But here's the other thing, like maybe there is a better, a more suitable way for journalists to feel safe, if not comfortable, at least more safe when they have to go and, um, you know, tell the, the stories, tell the news, be on scene, give us the the rundown of what's going on as it happens. It is, you know, there's nothing like that right now. There's no, no. safe place for journalists. There's no place that you can go in into the middle of a rally, into the middle of these kind of huge, kind of aggressive protests, right? And there's way more examples of that uh, in the world and say, okay, yeah, I feel safe. I feel like I won't be harmed because uh, I'm here. Up to the guy's story. 
Um, and again, you know, I blame social media for that because there are, there are people that are tr trying to disrupt our democratic way of life. I mean, you know, like it really is a toxic, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting to me because the member of the media is doing what they're supposed to do. The protesters right. doing what they're supposed to do. The anti-protesters doing what they're supposed to do. Um, it's supposed to get a point across. Is it supposed to harm anybody? No. Nobody no. is supposed to be harmed in the, the whether it's you know what's going on in Ottawa, whether it's been at the border, um, but unfortunately, whether people, you know, and you can take any side that you want. I don't want to. Sorry, I don't want to get sidetracked to get into that, folks. But what I'm saying is, I don't really understand. If you don't want to answer something, someone from the media is asking you is is just walk away. Don't put them on your TV if you don't trust a darn thing they're saying. And this is what I constantly hear from people. The media is only telling one side. And, and I'm not going to disagree or agree because I can quote all sorts of cases over in time, as you can, Bill, as Rum can, where we feel, well, why aren't they telling that version? Why is this left off? Oh, come on. I know that happened. I was there. And we know that's what's going to happen. That's the what, what goes on in our society. And it's not fair. Um, and other times... People want to tell a story and they're stifled. Maybe they're not allowed to. Maybe their their bosses don't want it. Everyone has a boss to answer to and people forget because the media is supposed to operate in a different way that, you know, people say they don't understand. So, and and, and I see different things, media pointing out different stories of, of, of every argument trying to, but let's be fair. There's always going to be a slant and that's what sets one media agency out from another. And there are also always going to be jerks that work in the media and also those people who wear their heart on their sleeve trying to tell the story. Um, right. Rum, any final comment on this? But since, uh, Bill, this is all we're going to get to. I know we're we're uh, pretty much at the end of this right now. But yeah, there there are things, there have to be things done, Kels, but um, it's hard to say what that is and how consistent it can be to to protect our uh, journalism and to protect democracy, as as Bill was saying. Yeah, and and Billy, understand what you mean by social media, where everyone has a platform, everyone has something to say. And I don't want to be some bleeding heart media guy who's all offended because people are picking on the media. Because I'll be honest, since I was a kid, I saw some media people that were pretty lousy and did some pretty what I consider unconscionable things, even if it's just harassing a family that's going through a lot. <laughs> First Nations lead Olympic bid. Very interesting article from, the, article from the Toronto Star. So there is a proposal that is making the rounds. Um, so that, you know, that to bring the 2030 Winter Olympics back to Canada. Um, what it would be, though, different is it would be, it wouldn't be one city. Like, you know, when, when cities host Olympic Games or put in a bid, it's one city. Right. This would Which is be, like when they did it in 2010, yeah, it was in different right. places. That's right. But here we have a situation where um, First Nations groups, four of them, in conjunction with Whistler and Vancouver, are proposing this bid. 
The difference, of course, is that the First Nations would lead the charge. And this would be, I mean, they're thinking re reconciliation. Um, can you imagine what the pride of this country and of, of them if they could actually pull this off? I mean, yeah, yeah. and, and the world the, bill, because this would oh, be a first course. ever. Of, of course. And the, the I've always been a strong supporter in the Olympic Games because they bring people and countries together. And this would serve as, I mean, hey, we did it with the First Nations. We led the charge and we got the Olympics back. Um, <clears throat> one thing that's important that it's got going for us, and if they can pull this off, and they are working with the Paralympic Committee to so that these people are all working together um, to get this thing to go. But one of the major problems with hosting an Olympic Games, as you know, is the cost. And in this particular case, I mean, what are you going to do with the, you know, with the with with the uh, with the facilities after you're done with them? A lot of times they just nothing gets done with them. But because they've been in Vancouver before or they've been in Whistler, we already have the facilities um, that can be reused. So I think that's a huge thing going for us. Yeah. And we're hearing more discussion about places that have the reusable facilities. Um, I know a lot of the ven the places now put up venues that are almost, you can almost take them apart and put them in storage, right? Like it's the way that yeah. some of the stuff is designed depending on, on, on facilities that they're not going to reuse. They're only being used for, for the one-time event. Other places, these, these facilities get used or, or as soon as the Olympics are gone, get used for daily public use as, as in my opinion, they should be, uh, that should be the main impetus for, for wanting to host that, Hey, we, we with that, with all the prestige, what it brings to the, the community, uh, the money, whatever you want to call it, if you're doing an Olympics, not to mention the exposure for the athletes and, and all the countries and putting it on display, but you've got to leave some legacy to your public since so much of their dollars went towards it. So I, I like that, and that's what I've been hearing before this was proposed, and they spoke about this during a, a media conference the other day, Billy. Um, I'd been hearing this whole, let's get it back to BC, let's get it back there, and it was very successful. The folks did all right. I, and I don't remember, Bill, this is like, when's this supposed to be, 2030 or something? Oh, hang on, I got to 2030. Yeah, 2030. that's what I thought, mm -hmm. uh, eight mm -hmm. years from now. So that's beautiful. Um. Yes, and I really you know, really hope they can pull this thing off. And the one of the one of the other things that they're concerned about is will the International Olympic Committee go for it? Because it isn't just one city. So we'll see what they do. Um, you know, we'll have to see. Good effort, though. Really good effort and really uh, incredible that this is actually going into fruition. They're putting together the pitch. And hopefully, you know, this is a good example for how not just on the, the reconciliation part and giving um, First Nations communities that spotlight, but like you guys are talking about, reusing this infrastructure. And hopefully that will become a trend in and of itself for hosting these kind of huge games. <laughs>
you're looking for love, uh, well, all I can say is you might be looking in the wrong place. Um, as oh. one man from Ohio did, apparently what happened was he started a relationship with a, and this is all about don't dating fraud scams that are happening. Um, this guy started a relationship with a woman who claimed to be from New York. And basically what they, what they she actually uh, told him that uh, she needed money to, to fly to Germany to get an inheritance of gold bars when she okay that is the was, red flag of all yeah, red flags I know, did we not right. do, come on gold i'm bars. so sorry i know gold i know bars, like who even says that okay go yeah, ahead yeah well she was arrested in germany before or before she got there and then she said she needed money to make bail and then she was arrested again jeez oh and, come on. Uh, yeah so Anyway, to make a long story short about this one, he was scanned over $500,000. Stop it. Yeah. $500,000. Wow. It's incredible. Unbelievable. Imagine if she now got scammed out of that 500000 herself. <gasps> That's un- it what? is unbelievable. Like, And to think, you know, you wonder, oh okay, if gosh. you've got that much money like that, you're getting scammed like that, do you care? Yeah. holy cow you know what it is too this there's particularly categorizing this as romance scam right or romance fraud um which is apparently like it skyrocketed last year because are are people just yeah like are people just that vulnerable is it dependent what's going on this is unbelievable to me i was wondering is it because of the pandemic um i mean what is what has caused i mean i don't know a loneliness I mean, yeah. not, not someone, no one to talk to, or just yeah. feeling like you're doing something. Exactly. And, I, and I think people put a certain value on things. They think, oh, wow. And you have to ask, you know, how, how, how much did you not realize what kind, could be potentially happening to you? And I My guess we have, to, we have to talk about a couple of things uh, about this. I mean, if anybody asks, one thing scammers will do, they'll ask you for money. That's one of the first things. Right. First hint. The other <laughs> The, yeah, yeah. The other thing is they'll say, don't tell anybody because, um, you know what I mean? Like it's you're not supposed to tell anybody that you're sending money. That's right. So there is red flags. There oh, are. tons, tons. Yeah. The amount alone. Let's do this interesting one. It poses the question, love and logins, who gets custody of passwords in a breakup? Um, I don't know. Who who does? Um, I mean, if you're in a relationship with somebody, how do you, what happens to the passwords? I mean, okay, so you meet and, you, and, and the thing goes further. And do you even give out passwords? And if you do, I mean, I wonder how many people think of what happens I mean, you think of the moment, but then again, when the when the relationship breaks up, then what happens? 
present all kinds of passwords. That's what you think. Because you're hoping, like, when you get together, and if you do have to share or do whatever a person's comfort zones are or the necessity of, um, you know, you're you're believing you're you're together forever. So I would imagine, like Rum says, uh, you would you would have to change. But I, I'm trying to think of a circumstance of something that, no matter if you broke up, you would still have to have access to or utilize. And I I don't know if that would be like a banking account for a a child's college fund or something like. I I don't know how that how you would handle it, other than like Rum says, changing changing codes and and i'm sure depending on the nature of the breakup that's not a, a tough argument but if people are amicable with the breakup wouldn't you know you you would trust in certain elements of that still maybe yeah. you can't get along together but you'd trust well the article yeah, points I mean, out some, go ahead billy the article points out some interesting things and and that is that for convenience a lot of people who even if you you break up you still have the price to consider, the cost yep. of, and, and people are saying, well, you can still use my Netflix or you can still use my Amazon or what, whatever. So people are taking that into account. But um, you look at the downside, um, someone could pass, give that, a, a, a you know, give the password to somebody else who you don't like or they don't and like. friends, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. And yeah. which could, which could present, yeah. And it even highlighted like, people doing something actually vengeful right after yeah. you're you, like creating profiles or seeing who you're dating now and kind of ruining things like that on social. Now, I, I honestly think there's certain ones that it's very cut and dry. Change your passwords for your social media, change your passwords for your financial, uh, like your online banking, that kind of thing after you break up because it, that, that that's a privacy thing, period. But other things like subscriptions, you know, you're talking streaming services and whatever. I guess if it's amicable, you can keep it. But you don't want to wait. And this is the other thing. Even when you're together, I think that um, in the article it was talking about, you know, what prompts you to share passwords to begin with, right? You don't want to be on the the other end of it where the uh, like your partner is saying, hey, share your password with me. And you're like, awkward. I don't want to do that. Right, you're supposed to leave it up to that person to share with you. Yeah. Similar to I don't, asking for I don't keys. like passwords. I don't like sharing passwords at all. I mean, regardless of you know, if I'm in a relationship, I don't like doing it at all. I mean, it's like Yeah. Well, and uh, when you look at yeah. Netflix and stuff like that, let's be fair. None of these organizations we've mentioned want you sharing with anybody. They, sure, all, they, they don't. would prefer that mm-hmm. each kid in the house had their own Netflix. Like they, they don't want it, but obviously they understand, well, this is a household um, for something like that. Yeah. But other things, your financial and things like that, your investments, if they're your investments. Especially your, your social. Partners are, you're, yeah. You, you you're just really want legally, your ex snooping your social? It. Yeah. Like don't do it and change your passwords after anyway. And yeah. plus, mm. this is this is completely out of the the – um, conversation, but you should be changing your passwords every what six months, a year, whatever. Anyway, oh man, so you great drive each other. You drive each other, out, <laughs> you know, crazy because you each be. Okay, I went and changed the password this. Well, the other day I changed the password for this. You know how we're supposed to do it every every six months? What is this supposed to be like three months? Oh, I'm I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking companies maybe. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know the stuff you'd have to re remember and the conventions you'd have to make up to to do so. Wow. Bill Shackleton is a usual suspect on our show, Kelly and Company. You can catch Billy sneaking around the studio on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for more of The Buzz. All right, see ya.